You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So open our Bibles to the scripture reading this morning. We turn to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 57. Our text is going to be verses 19b to verse 21, the end of the chapter. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. But you, come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Whom are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. They, they are your lot. Yes, to them you have poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In the light of these things, should I relent? You have made your bed on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorposts you have put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love, and you looked on their nakedness. You went to Molech with olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the grave itself. You were wearied by all your ways. But you would not say, it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have been false to me and have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your hearts? Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, Build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever, nor will I always be angry. For then the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I have created. I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him and hid my face in anger. Yet he kept on in his willful ways. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him. 
creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. And here comes our text. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus our Lord, very few of us have ever lived through a war. There are some exceptions, but for most of us, war is something we see on the news, something we read about in the newspaper. Over the last few weeks, we've again seen the Israeli defense forces at war with the Palestinians in Gaza. We've also heard over the last couple of days about another battle raging near Kandahar in Afghanistan involving our own troops, our Canadians. It's not pretty. War is an awful thing. And naturally, most people, if they know anything about it, they have an aversion to it. They don't like war on a national scale. And most people don't like to have smaller scale battles in their families, in their communities either. I think everybody would say, that we like to have peace, or at least that we should like to have peace. And our text for this morning is about peace. God sent the prophet Isaiah to proclaim these words to the people of Israel and Judah. It's about 500 years before Christ. The people of God were disobedient and faithful. You see that in the words leading up to our text. So God took them out of the promised land and sent them into exile in Babylon. The exile took place because the Israelites were at war with God. Nevertheless, God still continued to love His people. Because of His promises made to the patriarchs, and also to David and others, because of His love, He chastised or He disciplined them. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to see their sins, to to hate their sins, and to turn from their sins. He wanted the people to love Him and live at peace with Him. And that's why He gave this powerful message in our text for this morning. He gave it so that His people in exile would turn away from their sins and find their peace with God. We'll see that this powerful message has two aspects to it. First of all, a beautiful promise for those who believe. And second of all, a terrible warning for the wicked. Our text begins with the words, Peace, peace to those far and near. Now peace is such a beautiful word in the Bible. It's full of meaning. And you may even know the Hebrew word that's used here. It's shalom. Shalom means a lot more than just not having war and fighting. Shalom means that you are whole or complete. Shalom means that you are the way you were created to be. It means also that you are in fellowship with God, one with Him. And this peace, this shalom, is what all mankind needs so desperately. And it is what God announces to His people suffering in Babylon 
And he repeats it twice. He says, peace, peace, to show that he really means it. And this peace, we're told, is announced to those far and near. That's simply a poetic way of saying that this peace is for everyone, without distinction. For the people who first heard these words, this was a promise of return and restoration. God was going to bring them back to the promised land. They would again have fellowship with their God through the the means of the Old Covenant. The relationship of Israel to God would be like it was before. Now when we, as New Testament believers, hear these words, we can't help but think right away of what God says in Ephesians 2, 17-18. Because there Paul borrows the words of our text and says, He speaking about the Lord Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul applies our text specifically to the situation with Jews and Gentiles, that they are together saved by Christ. But in all this, the point is made amply clear that Jesus Christ is the one who really came with God's peace for everybody. He brought peace between God and people. You can think here of what Isaiah says in 53 verse 5 as well. Namely, that His chastisement has become our peace. Because Christ's body was broken, because Christ's blood was shed, we have peace with God. We now have a friendly relationship with Him in which He treats us as His children. And we looked up to Him as our loving Father. That's why these words of Isaiah 57 are are so beautiful. It's because they point to the Lord Jesus as the greatest peace imaginable. The peace which establishes the most meaningful, most important relationship in the world. Naturally, this is all given to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't ever begin to think that we will have peace with God apart from Christ. There is no such thing as a a self-help program when it comes to peace with God. The Lord Jesus has to do it for you. And in case you ever need a reminder as to why that is, think about another passage from Isaiah. Chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. How can we, on our own, make peace with God when all we can bring to Him are filthy rags? Well, you know the answer. We need the Lord Jesus. We need His righteousness. We need His body. We need His blood to pay the debt that we can't. So in speaking about peace, Isaiah is pointing us as New Testament believers to Christ. He does that also when he adds the words, and I will heal them. Well, let me first tell you what this doesn't say. God is not saying, when he says, I will heal them, he's not saying that sick people who believe in him will always inevitably get better. 
Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes when somebody is sick, sometimes our, our prayers for healing are answered. Sometimes even in miraculous ways, ways that doctors can't explain. But, and this is important, God never promises that in the Bible. Now take Paul as an example. Paul prayed three times that God would take away his thorn. And that very well could have been some kind of sickness. There are different theories as to what that might have been. could have been some sickness. But God didn't take it away, whatever it was that was afflicting him. Would we dare to say that Paul didn't have enough faith? Didn't trust enough? So then, what does God mean here when He promises to heal His people? And here again, we have to think about what happened to the people of Israel. They were being chastised by God through the exile into Babylon. When God promises to heal them, He's promising to bring them back to their homes in the promised land. He's saying that they're not going to be in Babylon forever. You know, for us today, in our comfortable 21st century existence, we, we can hardly imagine what that was like for them to be in exile in Babylon. Because we, we don't have a connection to the land the way the, the Jews did, and apparently still do. For them... The land was so vitally important because the land, the promised land, was tied directly to God's promises. And that land, it carried family history. The promised land was where the temple was located. A place where God's name, His presence dwelt in a special way. And so when they were in Babylon hundreds of kilometers away from the promised land. It felt like they were far away from God. But now, God promises to remedy the situation and again, bring them near to Himself to heal the breach. Again, let's reflect on how this directs our minds and hearts to Christ. Before we know the Lord Jesus in a saving way, we are far away from God. But when we believe in Christ, then God brings us to Himself. He brings us home, so to speak. So God's healing is all about Jesus Christ bringing us to His Father. And for us as New Testament believers, that's what God is promising us here. And that is definitely good news, isn't it? It's good news when we're having troubles and difficulties in our lives. We can know that because of His promise, God is still close. We can be assured that because of His promise, God still cares for us as our Father. He does that all because of what His Son did for those who believe in Him. But not everybody does believe. And that's why this passage also has a terrible warning for the wicked. Now at this point in the sermon, we're especially looking at verses 20 and 21. Let's take first things first and look at verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest. 
whose waves cast up mire and mud. Well, the first question we need to ask is, who are the wicked? Now, if we look in other places in the Bible, the wicked are sometimes people who who don't belong to God, who have nothing to do with God or His, His people. But sometimes the wicked are part of God's covenant people. If they were around today, we'd say that they're church-going folk. They're born into church families. They receive the sign and seal of God's covenant as baby children. And in the time of Isaiah, the wicked were indeed some of the people of Israel, God's own people, the people upon whom He had set His name. Despite all that had happened before the exile, despite what happened with the exile and after the exile, some of them kept on hating God, kept on ignoring Him, saying, well, you know, what you put in your word is all is all nice and all, but, you know, I still like to do my thing with my idols. They didn't care about what God had to say. They mocked God's law and just went about doing their own thing, being a law unto themselves, thinking they could mix the worship of God with the worship of idols. And everything would be just fine. Well, God tells us what those people are like. They're just like the ocean that gets tossed all over the place. Though they might deny it vehemently, the wicked are troubled. They don't have the peace. They don't have the the oneness with God, the wholeness from God. When it comes down to it, and you give an honest appraisal of the situation, they're at war with God. And it's that war that throws up a lot of mire and throws up a lot of mud according to our text. That means that everything that comes from them, everything that's involved with their lives is dirty and filthy. Their hands are covered with muck and everything they touch becomes grimy. Their mouths too spill out all kinds of filth. Words that are not pleasing to God. And sure, Maybe they might even say that they believe in God, but their lives show that it's all a game. They're just pretending. And that's why verse 21 ends our text with those well-known words, there is no peace for the wicked. The wicked cannot have peace with God. They cannot have peace in themselves. They're living at war with God, and this war impacts what goes on inside themselves too, creating all kinds of inner turmoil. Brothers and sisters, our text calls us to make sure that we're not among the wicked. And this is especially important as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Last week you were reminded of this celebration And so in the past week, you should have been examining yourself and and preparing yourself for the celebration. And one of the, one of the questions you should, you could have asked yourself and should ask yourself this morning is, do I really know the peace of God in Jesus Christ? And to motivate you in considering this question, let me share something I once heard from a, a Presbyterian colleague. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote. He said, here starts the quote, May I tell you what I preach to my congregation? One day, when you are at the point of death, 
your pastor will rush to the hospital room or your home. If you still have your mind functioning clearly and he asks you of your hope and what you are trusting, he wants to hear clearly for your sake and his that you are ready to leave this life for eternity. Please, please, please don't look at him and say, hopefully, I've done the best I could. That is a lie to begin with. You are not doing your best. Do you want a lie on your lips as you leave this life? Don't tell him that you've been a faithful church member. Don't tell him you've tried to keep the commandments. Don't tell him you have tried to lead a good life. As I said to my own congregation, when you're about to pass through the valley of the shadow of death, please do not try to comfort and deceive yourself by telling me about your good works. And don't tell me you are trusting some emotional experience to save you. Tell me Christ and Christ alone. Cling to Jesus only and hope in Him. If Christ is your righteousness, you have all things. That is ultimately what the Reformation rediscovered and gave to the world. That's the end of the quote. Brothers and sisters, I want to let those words speak for me as well. Today, as you partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, you have to be able to say that the Lord Jesus is your righteousness and your peace. Otherwise, this table will be profaned. And perhaps before you pass away, I will see some of you. Perhaps it might be Pastor Fisher. doesn't matter. Then too, you have to be able to say that the Lord Jesus is your righteousness and your peace. Otherwise, your destiny will be profaned. All of us need to believe in Him now, finding our only hope in Christ. Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, we are God's people. But we know from Scripture, from church history, and from experience that God's people do not always live up to their name. Our prayer should be that none of us would be numbered among the wicked for whom there is and will be no peace. Rather, let the beautiful words of our text be beautiful for all of us. May we know the Lord's peace and find healing with Him both today at the Lord's Supper and always. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.